Hi everyone, my name is Doug Barr, Camp Director at Ranger Lake Bible Camp. I'm excited to bring God's message to you, and we're going to be looking in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 41 verse 10. This is our theme verse for the year, and our theme is fearless. This idea that if we are in Christ, right, not just following, but we are really invested in Christ, that Christ is in us, actively working through us each day, we can have a fearlessness in this life no matter what hardship or struggle we face, knowing that we have an all-powerful God, a true God of human history on our side. We can have a hope in God, the omnipotent God, which is all-powerful, that he will bring about his new kingdom in a new age and we can have joy in it. Therefore, nothing in this world should bring us fear. And we're going to explore that truth in particular here in Isaiah. So Isaiah 41 verse 10. It says this, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, some of you might be wondering, why Isaiah? The Old Testament's kind of an odd choice for a Bible camp. And on top of that, you might be thinking, it's a little weird that we chose a prophecy literature. But I truly believe that the Old Testament has so much richness to it and often is underutilized. I know that's true in my own life. So I want to teach you a little rhyme to just remind us why the Old Testament and New Testament together are so important. It goes like this. The new is the old contained. The old is the new explained. Let me say it one more time. The new is the old contained and the old is the new explained. Now, Isaiah was a prophet, a messenger from God. He lived in Jerusalem and spoke to both kings in Israel and as well as in Judah in the later half of the kingdom period. He brought a message of judgment as well as a message of hope. Now, we're going to do a little bit of an overview, start big, and then we're going to work our way down. So very quickly as an overview, we're going to look at the book of Isaiah as a whole. And then we're going to work on the chapter, and then we're going to focus on a couple key verses, especially Isaiah 41 verse 10. Now, I truly believe context is key. And in Isaiah, the whole book, it is this beautiful picture of God's plan throughout human history to redeem humanity and show them his love, revealing God's timing for Jesus and the gospel here on earth. And I hope you can see that throughout Isaiah. Now, like I said, we're going to blast through some history here. So let's start with the book of Isaiah. The book is broken into two sections, Isaiah chapters 1 to 39, and then 40 on to 66. Each of those big sections are cut into three smaller sections. Now, the first half of Isaiah is really focused on that judgment of Israel and its leaders for their disobedience. But it also has an element of new hope. Whereas the second half is going to focus on that new hope and expand it a little bit more on what that is going to look like. Now, you'll notice in my slides, I use a lot of Bible project stuff. I think it's a really great way to get a little bit of a Bible overview if you're interested. So check them out on YouTube uh, and yeah, they have some really good content. So just a couple quick highlights when we look at chapters 1 to 39 in Isaiah. In chapters 1 to 12, we have Isaiah warning and accusing Israel's leadership of rebellion against God. In chapter 6, there's this cool picture of God instructing Isaiah to tell the people that through Assyria and then Babylon, the kingdom of Israel is going to be cut down. 
like a tree in the forest, lopped off is the way that he describes it. But there's still hope that out of that stump, a root will appear. This holy seed, this shoot of David in chapter 11. This sprout is this new king, Emmanuel, God with us, bringing about this freedom from oppression for all nations. Now, in chapters 13 to 27, he's going to go on and talk more about this judgment. But it's interesting that even with this judgment and purifying fire, there's still this promise of a new future. A new Jerusalem is how Isaiah describes it. That it's going to be a place that invites all nations into God's family. That there's no more death, no more suffering, no more tears. Now, in the later part of this section, unfortunately, everything comes to a head. It focuses on the lack of trust that Israel's leaders have in God. And it comes to a point where the grand finale is Babylon's attack against Jerusalem and the exile, the removement of Israel's people. So this is a hundred years after Isaiah's original warning, right? That's crazy. Hopefully you can see how God used Isaiah's prophecy to reveal that there was going to be punishment, but there's also going to be hope in a new kingdom, a new Jerusalem. Now, in the second half, there's a few highlights that I want to get through. When you look at the second half, it's this announcement of hope. This idea that there's going to be hope even in the midst of such suffering. And there's these truths that are scattered throughout the Old Testament of this coming king. Now, the future king is supposed to be coming from David's line, as 2 Samuel 7 tells us. And he's going to lead his people into this new Jerusalem. Not only is he from David's line, but on top of that, he's going to be a light to the world, bringing all nations, as I said, into this covenant with God, as promised in Genesis 12. Now, chapters 40 to 48 is this cool hope where Israel has comfort in knowing that the exile is over. You get to come back home. And that's exciting. He's going to do it through the kingdom of Persia to bring them back to the place of Jerusalem. Now, the idea is that Israel would come back and be a light to the world, sharing everyone what God has done. But unfortunately, it doesn't go that way. Instead, the people complain. They accuse God of abandoning them, as, they, as it says in Isaiah 40, verse 27. Israel's kind of lost their hope through this oppression and through this time of exile. And I know it's really easy to judge them for losing hope, but how often today... Do we lose hope so easily in God? Now, in chapters 41 to 47, God is going to address the accusation that he's abandoned Israel. And he's going to sort of present it like a court case. He's going to explain to Israel why the exile wasn't abandonment, but rather it was judgment. It was because of what they had done. And that for Israel's sake, he brought about Persia to bring them back from Babylon. Therefore, Israel should conclude that their God, the true God, is the God of history, not the idols of nations that others pray with no answer. This is where we're going to be focusing in today. Now, the later part of the book of Isaiah talks about this servant king. So Israel is not going to complete the mission. So God initiates a new plan to have a servant king, the Messiah, 
come in to bring in all the nations, to complete where Israel has failed, to restore Israel back to God, but also bring in the other nations, being that light to the world. And there's two ways people respond. Either they accept the servant and become a part of the service to God, these holy seeds, or they rebel. They're called the wicked and they reject not only the servant, but they also reject the servants. Now, chapters 56 to 66 kind of bring the whole book together, bringing it back to this new hope, this new Jerusalem at the forefront where God pours out his blessing and mercy upon his people, right? That the servants will inherit this new creation, that God will reign over the nations, and people will join into God's family. It's this beautiful picture. Now, I hope when you're looking at the book of Isaiah, that you can see God's hand in everything, all through humanity, and you can look back and see how Jesus and the gospel are so central to it. A broken humanity rebels against God, and yet God initiates a redemption plan through a Messiah and a Savior. Now, this is around 700 years before Jesus comes about. I think that's such an amazing proof of just the testament of God's power and orchestration through the history of humanity. Now, looking at the chapter that we're jumping into, it's focused on this court trial, right? Where God is defending himself because of the accusations that Israel's making. He's going to talk about the idols, right? Idols of other nations that do not answer and how he has orchestrated everything, including Persia taking over Babylon so that they could come home. He's then going to go on to taunt the idols in verses 5 to 7, talk about not worshiping things that are merely material. Verses 8 through 20 in chapter 41, God is going to encourage his servants. He's going to tell them that nothing Nothing can surpass his unstoppable power and his love. And last but not least, he's going to put the idols on trial. And they're not going to be able to respond because they are just idols. And he's going to condemn everyone that puts their trust in them. Even Persia is used for God's will at the very end, confirming that God's power is over all false gods. Now, let's read out of Isaiah chapter 41, verses 4 to 13. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am he. The islands, which are territories that are far away, have seen it and fear. The ends of the earth tremble. They approach and come forward. Each helps the other and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman encourages the goldsmith. And he who smiths with the hammer spurs on him who strikes the anvil. He says of the welding, it is good. He nails it down, nails down the idol, so it will not topple. But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. 
Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help. I love this passage. Now, there's a few things I want to highlight as we go through. Verse 4 in particular, the second half. God says, I am the first and I am the last. What he's saying here is he has authority of everything. Because he is the first and the last, everything in between is his. This means he has absolutely a plan in human history. And that he directs humans' paths, even our individual paths, towards his fulfillment and his kingdom. Our lives are not given into blind fate or random, meaningless, or endless cycles with no resolution. Instead, God is the first and he is the last, directing us towards his goodness. Now, verses 5 to 7, he's going to put on the irony pretty heavy here when he's talking about these idols. He talks about the other nations. He talks about how these craftsmen, uh, you know, these skilled workers, uh, whether that's a craftsman or the gold worker, have to team up to build this idol. And then they're like, yes, this idol is good. But even then, it still won't stand on its own. So they have to nail it to the table. And that is their God. But how often do we as people do the same thing? We see something with God's power and glory, and instead of worshiping God, we reject Him and make it our God and our idol. Often we lift up the creation above the Creator. Maybe that's a trust in technology, maybe a trust in our own abilities or strengths. You know, there's a lot of ways to easily make idols in our lives. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Now, verses 10 or verse 10, we're going to split it into two parts. First half, second half. So the first part says, Do not fear, I am with you. This is our theme, remember, our focus. When God tells us not to fear, He wants us to take that seriously. Fear, worry, anxiety often leads to sin in view of the fact that often we're missing promises that God has spoken over us, that we're forgetting those. So I want to make it clear, though. I'm not saying that if you struggle with worry or anxiety that you automatically sin. What I am saying is that this passage is telling us not to allow fear to rule over us. It's important. Fear can often become the idol we worship. It might be the thing that holds us back without us even knowing it. We fear not because the Lord has told us, I am with you. Let that truth sink in today. I am with you. You are never alone. So what else do we need? If God is for us, who can stand against us? We have just read about God's power over nations, idols, creation, and human history. That is the God that we get to trust in, that he says, I am with you. I think the problem is often that we just think God is too small. He goes on to say, do not be dismayed. It can be translated in a few different ways, whether you look at it as do not be anxious or look about, uh, do not be afraid, or do not look away. I like that one. Do not look away. 
There's this story of this time when a girl got stuck on the wall at camp. This was years ago, and uh, this girl was in wall climbing, but she was afraid of wall climbing. And the whole week, she more or less just sat on the bench. But on the final day, she built up the courage to climb that wall. Now, unfortunately, she got stuck on the wall. My leaders try to get her down for about 10 minutes, but nothing's happening. So they grab me as well as my wife, Alyssa, and we go to try to convince her to come down, but she is terrified. So I decide that I'm going to climb on the wall adjacent to her and try to help her down. So as I'm talking to her, she's terrified and keeps looking down. So I climb beside her and tell her and remind her, look at me, don't look away, look at me. Eventually, by doing this, she ended up trusting me and building up enough courage to jump onto my back, and then we rappelled down safely. You know, it kind of reminds me of the story of Jesus and Peter in the boat, right? The disciples are in the boat, off into the, into the lake, and the winds pick up. The storm is raging, and Jesus appears walking on water. And Peter calls out and says, hey, if you are Jesus, call me out of the boat. And Jesus says, come, join me, Peter. Now, the thing is, as Peter walks on the water, he looks to the waves, he looks to the storm, and he begins to sink. And I think that's a beautiful picture to remind us that when we take our eyes off Jesus, often that's when the worries and the troubles of this life begin to take over and we begin to sink. Now, God continues in this verse, and he says this, I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am your God, Elohim, the true God of human creation and history, that he is on our side. Why do we fear? You know, what is that storm in your life? What is that wave that makes you take your eyes off of Jesus and the worry and doubts start to creep in? Idols have to be fastened. They need to be nailed to the table so they don't topple over. You have to hold them up. But understand that our God holds us up. You should never have a God in your life that you have to hold up, right? Maybe a phone just falls down should never have a God that you have to hold up. Think of the girl on the wall. Do you think that she relied on her own strength or was she relying on my strength to get her off that wall? Rely on God's strength. He holds us up full stop. God helps us and strengthens us. All we have to do is trust in the promises of who he is and the promises he has for his people. Isaiah 41.10 what does this mean for us here today? I'm going to give you three points of challenge. Number one, be fearless, not by our own strength, but in knowing God is your strength. Let me say that one more time. Be fearless, not by your own strength, but in knowing God is your strength. There's this very smart man named Charles Price that I got to learn under this year. And I have a few quotes from him that I really appreciate. One in particular is he says this, is he your strength? Talking about God. Not give me strength. Is he my strength? Fear comes from something bigger than you 
or bigger than your resources. So my challenge is that if you live in Christ and there's still fear in your life, how big is your God? Or second to that, do you trust him? Do you trust God to be God? My second point is this. Know that God does the majority of the work. And I am so thankful of that. You know, this chapter is known as the great I will chapter. At least 14 times, God reinforces his authority by saying, I will, right? Whether he says, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Over and over again, he says this, I will. And this really smart man named Alan puts it this way. When God says, I will, he says it with the authority of omnipotence. He has foreseen every difficulty. He has studied every obstacle which may come in his way. He has anticipated every possible contingency. He knows the weakness of the one to whom he makes his promise. And yet he says, I will. God has you. Put your trust in him today. Last but not least, point number three. Know his promise, especially in the hard times. This is so important. Charles Price puts it this way. God has a wonderful plan. It just might not be wonderful for you. And that's a hard truth. I'm not saying that life won't have its wonderful moments. But there is going to be challenge. There is going to be struggle to follow Christ, to follow as God instructs us. It's difficult, but is it worth it? Absolutely. I would argue it's absolutely worth it. But do not be misled. Allowing God to be Savior as well as Lord is difficult in our lives, especially the last part. Allowing Christ to be Lord means dying to ourselves daily, picking up our cross. This life you will have suffering, but take heart knowing that Jesus has overcome the world. Knowing the promises of who I am in Christ helps me when I go through the suffering. Knowing the promises of Christ helps me find peace in the midst of my anxieties and my stresses. In knowing Christ deeply, I can walk fearlessly no matter what storm I face. I have a few prayer practices that I use on a weekly basis to remind myself of God's promises to his people, to remind me who I am in Christ and how much he loves me. One of those prayer practices actually comes out of Isaiah. It's the Isaiah prayer that goes from chapter 43, verse 1 and 4, and then 49, 14 to 16. And you know what? Maybe we'll end our time with that prayer practice. As we conclude, hindsight is 2020. Being able to look back and see God orchestrate is a beautiful thing, and that's why I love the Bible so much. One of my Briarcrest professors put it this way, Prophecies are often more useful to interpret the past rather than to interpret the future. Isaiah's prophetic expression of God's overwhelming judgment of Israel and orchestration through human history shows us his initiative of love for humanity. Therefore, as God's servants, we should be fearless in this life, no matter what hardship we face, 
knowing that everything can be used for God's glory and kingdom to come. Trust in God, the Holy One, who will not be silent to your cries. He's not like those idols that don't listen. He wants to hear from His children. Trust in a God that can bring coherence to your life, and especially in those moments of uncertainty and hardship. Now, I know this may not happen in our timing. We might be asking why, and we may not get a response right away. But just wait. Wait on the Lord is my challenge to you. Time and time again, God has used my challenges, my suffering, to bring not only myself, but others closer to Christ and bring His kingdom closer to here on earth. This is our challenge for everyone that runs into Ranger Lake Bible Camp this year to be fearless through Christ. I know it's convicting for me because there's a lot of areas where I struggle with fear and anxieties, and I have to put those to death knowing that Christ is bigger, knowing that Christ is the one that does the work in me day to day, and all I have to do is keep my eyes on Him. Now, let's pray. But now, this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands.